Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 18. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We've been going through the book of Hebrews for quite a while now, and we've got a few more left, a few more sermons left in the book of Hebrews, but we're coming close to a wrapping of wrapping up the book of Hebrews, but we've been through so much, haven't we? So many of you faithfully have been here for most every sermon, and I want to congratulate you for that. Thank you for that. But uh, we have gone through so much. Uh, the book of Hebrews really is all about a group of people, of Jews, who had been introduced to Christ, and now they were being tempted because of persecution and suffering to go back to their old ways of life. And they wanted to go back to the old test, the old temple sacrifices in order to feel as though their sins have been forgiven when really the writer of the book of Hebrews says that your sins have been covered, they've been covered by the blood of Christ. And so the whole book of Hebrews is really about the author convincing the readers and convincing us that there is no going back to anything. There is no going back to the temple sacrifices. There is no going back for us to trying to earn our salvation by our own good works. But we can only go forward with Jesus Christ. And he, he convinces us this by telling us how much Jesus and how much the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Jesus is better and greater. Amen? Amen. He, is, he is better and greater. He is better than the prophets of old. He is better than the mightiest of angels. He is greater than even Moses. All these are things talked about in the book of Hebrews. He's better than the, the rest that Joshua offered to the people of Israel. His sacrifice on the cross is far superior to any animal sacrifice that the Old Testament believers could have given. His priesthood is greater, greater than the Old Testament priesthood. And there is a heavenly tabernacle which far outshines the earthly tabernacle. And so Jesus is better, and we talked about how true faith in Jesus is one that perseveres through adversity. And that's what the writer of the book of Hebrews is asking them to do, to persevere through this difficult time and to run the race of the Christian life fully and completely all the way to the end. And we talked about how the Christian race it's not a sprint. It's not something that you engage in and it's over with and finish quickly, but it's more like a marathon. It is a marathon that lasts our whole lifetime. And so in order not to grow weary in this race, we are to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we are to receive also God's discipline as an act of love. And so whereas the world sees these Christians going through persecution and adversity, God tells them, this is my way of disciplining you so that you become more like my son, Jesus Christ, more loving, more giving, more caring. And so that brings us up to our scripture that we have for today. So we're gonna be reading from Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, verses 18 through 29. Let's go ahead and we'll stand for the reading of Scripture if you're able to stand. And we'll read to verse 29. Kind of starts out differently 
So uh, we'll explain that once we get into it. But listen to the words closely and uh, follow along and uh, we'll make sense of it a little bit later. The writer of the book of Hebrews, he says, for you have come not, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refuse him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this section of scripture that we have here today, and we ask that you would help us today to fully understand what it is trying to say to us. And not only understand, but that we would choose to do what is right, and that we would choose to completely and totally follow Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength today. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, I have read this before many times, but when I read it earlier in this week, I thought, what in the world is going on? And you may think that same way, because there's some background here that we need to understand. The first few verses are uh, almost a, a retelling of what happens in Exodus chapter 19, all the way back to Exodus chapter 19. And it's not unusual for the author of the book of Hebrews to do this, because he is speaking with Jews who are primarily associated with the Old Testament and they know the Old Testament very well. But what exactly is going on here? What is he talking about uh, with this fire and smoke? So he's really talking about two different ways that we can approach God. One way which is based upon our performance and our works for the people of the Jews. It was for their offering of their sacrifices and how well they obeyed the law. But, it, uh, and let me say that it is a very dangerous way to approach God, and we'll see that in just a little bit. The other way is a way to properly approach God, and it focuses on what Jesus Christ himself has done for us. So how do, how do we approach a holy God? That's the question that we're truly trying to talk about. 
how do sinful people like us, and we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, how do we approach a holy God? Well, the first way that described is under the Mosaic Covenant, and it really speaks about obedience to the Old Testament law. This is primarily spoken of in verses 18 through 21 that we read. Uh, God had said that he wanted the people of Israel to be a treasured people, that he wanted them to be his prized possession, and they wanted him to be a kingdom of priests. And so he had delivered them, remember the story, he had delivered them from Egypt. And now they had crossed the Red Sea and they were in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. They had come to Mount Sinai and the Lord wants to come down onto Mount Sinai and speak to Moses, but also be in earshot of the people of Israel so that they could hear as well. However, because of his holiness and because of their sin, the Lord had set limits on how close the people could get to him. If they touched the mountain, they would die. If any animal touched the mountain, it would die. And so this helps explain a little bit about what we have read. If, you know, in verse 20 it says, if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. This was the punishment for an unclean object or person to come into contact with God. And, uh, that's what the Lord said would happen. So he had to set these limits on how close the people could get to him. If they came too close, they would be in fear of dying. We might ask ourselves why this is, why this is. It's because God is holy, right? That he is totally without sin. And we are sinful people. And so for us to enter the presence of God, we cannot do that without something as an in-between or an intermediary. And so if we did, we would die. If we right now, without Christ in our life, were to approach God, we would die because of that. And so that's exactly what he's trying to keep them from doing. He wants them to be able to hear him, but he doesn't want them to die. They can't get that close. Then the day of the Lord finally came, there was thick black smoke, there was thunder, there was a voice, there was lightning, there was an earthquake and this trumpet growing louder and louder all the time. This is just prior to Moses being given the Ten Commandments. And so it would have been a fearful thing, right? This would have been a fearful thing. Try to imagine yourself around this mountain and all of a sudden a thick, dark cloud descends. There's lightning, there's tornadoes maybe, and there's an earthquake. I don't know if you've ever been in a tornado or an earthquake. I've happened to experience both of them. They are both incredibly unsettling. We had a small earthquake in the Allendale area. It woke us up about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm sure you guys probably felt it up here. It's probably been 10, 15 years ago, something like that. But it is a very unsettling experience. You're wondering that whole day and many days afterwards, is the ground going to be still today. But that is exactly what it was like for someone to approach God through the Old Testament law. There was this holiness of God that prevented them from being close to them. And that's why we needed something that is better. The Ten Commandments were given and they are good, right? The Ten Commandments, we know those. They are good for us, but 
they can never save us because we can never, we can never experience them 100%. And so experiencing or trying to approach God on our own, by our own good works, is represented by Mount Sinai. It represents life under the law. It basically dealt with an external kind of worship. So by ex external, I mean the, the acts of worship that they did were external, such as bringing sacrifices, such as saying prayers at certain times. They had agreed with Moses to do what God had said, externally at least, but soon forgot God and worshiped a golden calf. If you remember that, remember the rest of the story? After the Ten Commandments had been given shortly after this episode at the mountain, uh, Moses went up on the mountains to receive the Ten Commandments, and God said, you're going to have to go back down there. They have already defiled my name, and they have already disobeyed against me. So this approach of approaching God in this way never really works. <laughs> It never really works, not because God is bad, not because the Ten Commandments are wrong, but it's, it's never effective because we have a fallen nature and we always choose to fall, to sin against God. This actual approach that they tried to make required two days of consecration. And on the third day, God was able to come down and speak to them. Still, it was a long distance relationship, if a relationship at all, right? They couldn't get close enough. They couldn't get close enough. In fact, if someone did get too close, then they would have been required for them to be stoned. And so approaching too close to God, a holy God, without our sin having been covered, requires a death, it requires our death and separation from God. This is what the Jews thought that they were tempted to go back to this type of approach to God. But this type of approach to God does not work. We must approach God through his grace in Christ, amen? amen. We must approach God through his grace in Christ, and this is represented by Mount Zion. Verse 22, it says that you have come to Mount Zion. He's speaking to the Jews. He's saying, you've been introduced to Christ. You have come to Mount Zion and you've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering. And so this gives a completely different picture than the picture at Mount Sinai. The picture at Mount Zion is one of celebration of angels celebrating for us versus fear and judgment of Mount Sinai. We come together at Mount Zion, the heavenly city, and we come together with other believers to the assembly of the firstborn in heaven. That assembly is referring to the church, amen? It's, re it's referring to the church, which is what the word church in Greek actually means, an assembly. Not only do we come to the heavenly city, but we come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Spirits of the righteous make perfect are those who place their faith and their trust in Christ. And because they place their faith and their trust in Christ, they have a righteousness 
not of their own, but they have the very righteousness of Christ. That's why we as Christians can have no fear about approaching God and having an intimate, close relationship with him. It's because of what Christ has done for us. He paid the penalty on the cross, paid for our sins so that we could be forgiven of our sins and that we can have the righteousness of Christ. That's good news, folks. Not only have we been forgiven of our sins, but according to scripture, we have been given the very righteousness of Christ. And that means in a sense, we deserve a reward, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. This is what it's referring to, that we have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. We have been made righteous and he is making us righteous both at the same time. That's a, I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but for the believer in Christ, we are perfectly righteous and yet he wants to work out in our life, our everyday life, a righteousness um, that is being made through us that we are becoming more conformed to the image of Christ. He says that we have come to Jesus who is our mediator. Aren't you thankful for Jesus, what he has done for us? The only one who could be our mediator, the perfect person, the God-man, he's fully 100% God, but also fully 100% God so that he could die for our sins and pay for the sins of all who would believe and trust in him. He is our mediator. He is the way that we approach God. There is no approach any longer through the temple or through the sacrifices. There is only the approach through Jesus Christ. We place our faith and our trust in Christ. And when we do, we may approach God and have a relationship with him. What is greater than a relationship with God? Nothing. Nothing really, right? There's many wonderful things in this world. Things that we enjoy to do, our hobbies, our, our work our families, all those things are important to us and our gifts of God. But in many ways, they are only temporal and will not last forever. Our relationship with God will last forever, on through eternity, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, of, from now. Amen. We come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. In verse 24, it also says, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Well, the blood of Abel only cried out death, but the blood of Jesus only cries out life and forgiveness. Amen? Life and forgiveness. This means that our sins can be forgiven and, and put away far away from God as is possible, from the, as far as the east is to the west. So we have one approach which is not good news. We have another approach which is good news. And in the scripture here, the author gives us one final warning. Remember the warnings that we've had through the book of Hebrews? He gives us one final warning. Look at verse number 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Jesus is the one who warns us from heaven. He is the one who's come from the Father and by his word, by his actions, have shown us that there's salvation only through him. 
The Old Testament Jews, they did not listen to God. They listened partly, but then they eventually gave into their sin and worshiped the calf instead of the Lord. And so because of that, they endured judgment. If we are to escape judgment, we must not refuse the speaking of Jesus. And you might say, well, what does it mean to accept Jesus? That's a good question. What does it mean to accept Jesus? It means that we understand that he is God who has come in the flesh. Uh, it means that we understand that he is one who has come as a man in order to die for our sins. And so to accept him means that we accept him for who he is, that he is God and Lord of our life. He has rights to tell us what to do and how to act and how to be. But he's also our savior. He's the one who went to the cross and upon the cross took all of our sin upon himself and in dying that way paid the penalty for our sin. He didn't stay in the grave either though. He rose again on the third day signifying to us that God found his sacrifice acceptable, folks. The Father found his sacrifice acceptable and he was raised from the dead to everlasting life. And when we place our faith and trust in him, we can have that same everlasting life. Amen. We are forever joined to Jesus. As long as he is alive, we will be alive, which is forever. Nothing can overcome his indestructible life. And so we must not refuse what he is saying to us. He is saying to us, I have come as your savior, accept me as your Lord and savior. If not, we will not escape the judgment of God, just as the people of Israel did not escape the judgment of God at Sinai. Rather, this should be our attitude, one of belief and trust and one of gratefulness for this kingdom that he has placed us in that cannot be shaken. It will not be shaken like Mount Sinai was shaken. It will last forever and ever and ever. So we should be grateful that this kingdom that we are in cannot be shaken and we should offer acceptable worship from the heart. Has to be from the heart, folks. That's one thing that was wrong with the first approach is that people could obey the law and it not be from the heart. Anyone ever had kids that you've had to instruct in how to do something and they really didn't want to do it that bad? Maybe, maybe it was uh, chores that they had to do and they really didn't want to do that and maybe they did it, but you didn't get much satisfaction because you had to make them do it. That's not got what God wants. He has given us Christ to show us how much he loves us so that we willingly choose to serve him. And that, of course, is our appeal today. Have you made a decision to follow Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? You see, this is a gift that is given to us by grace. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, that for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no man may boast. Jesus wants to give us the gift of eternal life by his grace as a free gift today. We merely just choose to accept it and choose to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so are you following Jesus completely today? Maybe you're a Christian who made a decision many years ago, 
but you find that today you're not really following him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, no problem. Jesus, the Father, they are forgiving God, right? They are forgiving. And if you come to them and repent of your sin, then you will have uh, renewed fellowship with them. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let me tell you that God desires for you to know him today. <laughs> and he is praying for you and he is wooing you to come to him today by just dropping your defenses and saying, I can't do it. I can't do it my own strength. I trust in Jesus and I want to follow him. May that be your prayer today. Father, we thank you so much for this time and we thank you for the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And sometimes the good news has to be preceded by the bad news and the bad news for us is that we have sinned against you and we need a remedy and you have shown us through your word that it's not by our works it's not by sacrifice of our own goods it's not by sacrifice of our own time that's never sufficient in order in order to restore us to relationship with you but it's only through jesus christ it's only through what he has done on the cross for us and our acceptance of that, that will eventually lead us to eternal life. So teach us today how to trust more fully, how to turn away from our sin and turn away to you so that we might have life. We ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. amen.